I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. My next guest is Swish Goswami. Swish and I first met a few years ago when we were both speaking at a university, and he really stood out to me. I knew then and there that this kid was going to do big things. So now Swish is 22 years old, and he's already built a multi-hyphenated career. He is a serial tech entrepreneur, CEO and founder of TrueFan, which also recently acquired Social Rank. He's a three-time TEDx speaker and UN Youth Ambassador. Now, Swish is a social media whiz. He was recognized as a top LinkedIn creator with over 100 million content views and recognized as the face and future of Canadian entrepreneurship by UPS Canada. Swish also has a passion for public speaking and has spoken at some incredible places, including the United Nations, Haste and Hustle alongside Gary Vaynerchuk and Richard Branson, Harvard University, The Wall Street Journal, and the World Business Dialogue. He is just a brilliant young man that is far beyond his years. We get into what it takes to build a personal brand, getting investors for your startup, the power of social media, ageism, dating as an entrepreneur, and so much more. Here we go. Today, I'm chatting with my friend Swish. Swish is the founder and CEO of TrueFan, a Toronto-based startup helping some of the world's biggest brands engage their grassroots community made up of superfans and micro-influencers. He's also an author, keynote speaker, and investor. Welcome, Swish. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Emily. <laughs> You're welcome. So who is Swish? Yeah. So my real name is Swar Rochish and I got the nickname Swish when I was in grade eight. I love playing basketball. I played basketball oh. at the Calgary Science School, which was a very competitive program, as you can imagine. And I got the nickname Swish and just ran with it. That's very cool. So you've been an entrepreneur your whole life, right? Pretty much. I mean, I'm, I'm 22 right now, obviously. So I've had moments where I did it more as a side hobby. So when I was seven years old, I built a hovercraft with my father and we sold that. And it was more something I just wanted to do as a side hobby to get some money that I could go and then buy something. But I think around the age of 20 was where I really decided this is like going to be my full-time career. And you know, building companies and coming up with ideas and really going all in on them was mm-hmm. something that I really wanted to do. Is TrueFan your first official company? Not exactly. TrueFan is definitely the first company that I've raised money for. And it's definitely also the first company where I've had you know, more than 10 employees and really, really gone this deep into a company before. But before this, I had a wearables company that I built out that I was able to go through and actually license this technology to a company in New York. And then in high school, I started a nonprofit as well called Canada Thanks. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So what is TrueFan? Yeah, we built out a platform that connects any brand to their engaged and influential followers on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And what's really neat is if you want to learn not only who your top feds are, but how they're engaging with you, both in terms of positive, negative, neutral sentiment, or in terms of what they're saying, 
you can use TrueFed and you can really pick up on that engagement pattern as well. We recently acquired a company though called SocialRank, which really improves our offering because now not only can we show you your top fans, but you know, we have this tool called SocialRank that is basically Google for audience analytics. So now you can come on and you can start off with over a billion profiles on Instagram, over a billion profiles on Twitter, and you can really filter your way down to an audience that is relevant to what you want to be able to do. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So it's kind of multifaceted, but at the end of the day, it's audience analytics, and that's the, the field that we very much play in. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go with all of this? I think kind of the, the big impetus behind the move, especially by Rank Out, was to become the world's leading audience analytics platform. Right now, a lot of companies like Bleacher Report, you know, Saudi Aramco, Uber Eats, Samsung, Victoria's Secrets, Fashion Nova are all using either Rank or Fan. So it's a big, big move for us because of the fact that we are trying to really put ourselves ahead of the pack as a company that stands out like a buffer or hootsuite would in the publishing space. Okay. Very interesting. What led you to this idea? This Yeah, I used to I used to run a, an account back in the day when I was in New York with my roommate Elliot called Dunk at D U N K. Okay, uh, I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a very popular account, very hyper focused in basketball. And one of the brands that we worked with was Cogent Marketing, which was run by the guy named Mark Zablo. Mark used to be the social media manager for Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade, two of the best you know, basketball players pretty much in the world. And he once came to me about probably November of 2017, about two years ago, came to me and he said, Swish, do you have a tool that Chris Paul could use to find his most engaged fans in Houston? Because he was actually moving at that time from LA to Houston to play for the Rockets. But he didn't, but that question really, you know, got to me. And I looked up, you know, all these various tools online, couldn't find one that was affordable, accessible, intuitive, and thought it'd be great to build it on my own. Yeah, it's a great idea. Thank you. <laughs> so in addition to being an entrepreneur, you yourself have a very strong personal brand. You've become a bit of a, a master of telling your story. Yeah. I mean, if you, when you do it pretty much every day, you kind of start to start to figure <laughs> out how to be able to tell it in creative ways. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have made a big part of my life, my personal brand as well. It's been a big, you know, intentional approach because of the fact that I realized early on that if there's one thing that can de-risk to getting into entrepreneurship, it's having a personal brand. Because in the off chance that your company doesn't work out, in the off chance that you even get fired in a conventional job, the thing you can always go back to your personal brand, and that's made up of your beliefs, your network, and really your vision for where you want to take things. Hmm. 100%. How did you discover what your story is? Mm-hmm. I think it was more just kind of going back and really trying to figure out what mattered to me the most. Someone who has done various things, you know, growing up, I debated at a very high level. I was a dancer. I played basketball. I played volleyball. I was my student council president. Like I was just always putting myself in so many different things. It was a little hard initially when I, especially when I went to university to really figure out like what really matters to me. But now if you ask me that, I mean, three things I normally talk about a lot that are a big part of my story is number one, overcoming any form of disability, including for me, one of the things I was able to overcome was a lisp growing up. Mm -hmm. Secondly is mental health, which is incredibly relevant to me, especially given the fact that I did go to college for two years. And I have seen a lot of people my age go through 
things that were that were incredibly sad to see. And then thirdly, entrepreneurship, you know, just taking that risk and being able to go and build something from scratch that is meaningful to you. So those are kind of the big three things that are ingrained in my story now. Wow. I remember seeing, I'm not sure if it was when we first met at the university. We were both speaking at, at that event and that was when we first met, obviously. But I remember hearing you tell this story about you were you were saying a speech in class and the teacher said, yeah. what was it? What was that story again? Can you imagine? Yeah, I was debating and... And basically, I was debating, and and he, at the end of the day, the judge, he gave me feedback, and he's like, "Swish, you know, it was amazing. You have a, you have a great, great voice. I think you're going to be even better when you get your retainer taken out." Oh, I'm like, "Oh my god, I don't have a retainer. Like, I have a list. Oh. It's super awkward." But yeah, did you tell him that? I didn't. I did. Actually, it's funny because the judge, and this is something I normally don't tell people, the judge was one of my friends' dad. Because in, in debate, uh, normally the judge. So I didn't really want to call him out. <laughs> oh, that would be embarrassing. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> so I watched your TED Talk recently, mm-hmm. the one on uh, storytelling in the modern right. world. And you went through different tips and stuff. And I, they really resonated with me. I thought that it's, everybody should check it out, actually. But walk me through a bit about that. So I think storytelling, especially in building a personal brand, is something that is very talked about nowadays. But mm-hmm. it's normally a topic that people overcomplicate. And they think too big about it when in actuality, what it really comes down to is figuring out what are some of your core messages? So very mm-hmm. similar to how I just broke down my stories mm-hmm. around mental health and around overcoming disability and around being able to talk about entrepreneurship in a very granular and raw way. And then going to a channel that you know your audience will reciprocate to that information. So for me, the two platforms I very much focus on are LinkedIn and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I know that on LinkedIn, when I talk about entrepreneurship in a very raw and granular way, there is an audience of other entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs that can relate to that. When I talk about mental health through my stories and through my posts on Instagram, I know that there's an audience of other young people that can relate to what I'm going through or what my friends have gone through, and they'll be able to support me through that. So I think that's really what personal branding comes down to and storytelling comes down to is distilling down your story into a concise form and then being able to put it out in platform where you know there's an audience for it. Why LinkedIn? Yeah, I, I just find it to be so untapped. I know a lot of people these days have been talking about TikTok. I'm not on TikTok right now, but I feel like the same way that people talk about TikTok is the same way that I've been talking about LinkedIn for the last three years. I was one of the early students I was posting constantly on LinkedIn about three years ago. I started to grow quite a rapid community, started doing LinkedIn meetups, which now we've done over 100. Wow. insane to even think about. And I think the biggest thing about LinkedIn that I love is just how, you know, it's, it's a professional platform and there's no other platform I feel where people can connect with you so quickly. And what I mean by that is if I see a really cool post on Facebook or a really cool post on Instagram, mm-hmm. chances are that if I go and click on your profile, I'm not going to learn everything about you immediately. But on LinkedIn, I have this incredible opportunity where mm-hmm. I can go through pretty much your resume right mm-hmm. off the bat and I can send you a message if it's interesting to me. Right? That level of context and that level of information that I'm getting right off the bat, mm-hmm. you will not find it on any other platform. I love that. Yeah, the more people that interact with you, the more people that see it and that all their connections see it. I find it's a lot easier to break through the noise for sure than yeah. 
than Instagram. And I don't even uh, use Twitter. Yeah. And I think also, you know, to be fair, not that, I mean, people these days are posting on LinkedIn. I feel like LinkedIn has become, you know, way noisier than it was three years ago. But even now, it's not as popular to post on LinkedIn as it is on Instagram and Twitter. So mm-hmm. even if you start today, you know, being able to cut through the noise is something that is going to be easier to do than going on Instagram or Twitter. Do you think that it's people post less because they don't know what to post on LinkedIn? So I think there's a combination of three things. I think one is they don't know how, like what to post. Number two is I've literally had people come up to me and say, how do I post? Like they didn't even know <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and then I think number three is, and this is very much, you know, something that people tend to have is just fear around posting, right? Mm-hmm. So whereas Instagram and Twitter, I think you're encouraged to post because that's how those platforms were built. LinkedIn, given the fact that it's mainly just a platform where you know you basically put your resume and you connect with people and it's a very professional oriented platform, a lot of people are nervous and scared about sharing content because they don't know if it'll ever come back and bite them in the ass. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. I noticed there's some people out there that if you post something that's too, you know, if, if it's more generic or not exactly pertaining to business, I'll be like, this is LinkedIn. This is an Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I know. And, th- and that was something early on, especially when I was posting maybe two, three years ago, mm-hmm. there were sometimes people that were like, why are you sharing your top tips for time management? You know, this is LinkedIn, not Facebook. Don't treat it like that. Uh, weirdly enough, though, it was nice because I don't get those comments anymore. But on top of that, now I think I've cultivated a community where even if I do get an odd you know, comment once in a while, my community will go and bash them for me, which I'm very appreciative <laughs> of. <laughs> okay, that's so amazing. It's, it's super great that way. Yeah. <laughs> You've got your LinkedIn hype group. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so are you, you're based in New York now? No, I'm based in Toronto, actually. We oh, you moved, are? Yeah, we moved from, from New York to, to Vancouver to start TrueFan, and then we raised money out of Toronto and moved to Toronto. Okay. What was your experience like raising money? Honestly, it wasn't that hard for us in particular because my co-founder and I had spent a long time, about two years, interviewing a lot of high net worth individuals and <laughs> very much focusing on our network. So... For us, I think the big thing was just being able to get people to believe in another social media analytics platform. That was just mm-hmm. the biggest hurdle for us is there's so many analytics platforms out there. So trying to get an investor to believe this is going to be the one or this is the one that is going to be very important for a particular purpose mm-hmm. was the biggest challenge for us. But I think once you're able to raise your initial round, once you're able to prove out some traction, it's it a lot easier to be able to raise money, especially on the institutional level. You haven't found that your age has been a hindrance at all? Honestly, I wish I could say yes, but you know, once in a while, maybe if I'm at a conference and I'm speaking and mm-hmm. I'll see a couple of people that, you know, they, they appear to be a little ageist. Uh, they appear <laughs> to kind of turn off from what I'm saying, maybe because of my age or just maybe who I am. But for the most part, I'm, I'm very appreciative of like every adult, especially in my life, both on the personal and professional end that has been very receptive to me, no matter what I did. When you said you were interviewing people, what were you interviewing them for? Yeah, it's a great question. I had a podcast about three years ago. It was a very crappy podcast. We (laughs) recorded on GarageBand and then we exported to SoundCloud. After I realized that the quality is probably not ideal, Mm -hmm. I started interviewing people by writing about them on LinkedIn. So I got phone call with them for 15 to 20 minutes. I asked them a bunch of questions. I took that, I wrote an article and I shared it on LinkedIn under a hashtag unconventional. 
So I wrote about 12 of these articles, had like Lewis House, Mark Cuban, a bunch of really cool people on wow. it. And it was super neat because in the process of interviewing them, I was able to build the foundation of a relationship. I was able to tell them a little bit about what I did and I was able to stay in touch with them and really show them that I cared generally about building a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So that's how, you know, my fundamental thesis is any college student getting out of college should prioritize having a podcast or an interview series because 99% of people in the world, in my opinion, love talking about themselves. I'm exhibit A and if you <laughs> go and you can play to that, and instead of asking someone for coffee, you ask if you can interview them. That's strategic and ideal, and you're more likely to get a yes. Mm-hmm. What if they don't have a podcast? I guess they could do something unconventional like you did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every single person can post an article on LinkedIn. Any person can write an article on Medium and share it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times people think, oh, but I don't even have a following. Like, who's going to want to like do a podcast or an interview with me? But most of the time, a lot, especially a lot of Canadian entrepreneurs that are big time, mm-hmm. they don't care about how many readers you have. They're just trying to go after any channel to put their story out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. As long as it's being told in a strong way that, you know, compliments their brand and they're happy to yep exactly give their time even your mom has social media right yeah it's pretty cringy honestly is it oh <laughs> she just keeps roasting me on linkedin you know anytime <laughs> like she keeps getting like i think 20 to 30 people that just continuously support her for just roasting me okay that's amazing <laughs> i gotta go follow her <laughs> join yeah. in yeah yeah <laughs> my mom still has no idea how social media work. She thinks that on Facebook, things in her her feed that people share are to her. Oh, no. She'll she'll call me and be like, why did your aunt share a post with me about, you know, um, for males? She's like, why why would I want to see that? (laughs) No, it's not directed for you. It's just to everyone. (laughs) No, yeah, she doesn't understand that. So why did you guys come back to Toronto? So we raised money out of a VC called Round 13 here. Mm -hmm. And we also noticed that most of our customer base was based in New York or Toronto. So taking that five-hour flight from Vancouver to Toronto or to New York was just insane to do every single month. And we thought it would be better just to grow out of Toronto. I think one other note, which we only realized after we came here, is honestly the Toronto entrepreneurship community is incredibly ripe for for some major disruption. Like I think there's some big time players here. I think Toronto is now doing a better job of profiling entrepreneurs in the city. But we're basically, in my opinion, a cleaner, better New York. And I know we can become a really major tech hub. We already are, I think. Mm-hmm. We have like some incredible companies, the Wealth Simples, the Clear Banks, the Borough Walls of the World. But I think there's a lot of companies that are going to come out in the next five to 10 years out of this area, especially the Toronto Waterloo area, that are going to make yes. a major dent in the world. So we just wanted to be a part of that. There's a, a friend of mine and he started a company years ago in Toronto and it's called Ritual. Do you know Ritual? Yeah. Yeah, virtual, hundred percent. Yeah, and he's grown it huge. When I when we first met, because we started working with um, there were seven people in the office, and now I think they have over four hundred. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing. I took a I took a photo recently at a shawarma shop because I was paying. And at the shawarma shop, I looked down and there was like thing for a ritual. There was a promotion for skip the dishes. There was like an Apple Pay ad. And I like wow. took a photo of it because I'm like, you know, literally like 10 years ago, none of these services would have existed. And it's I just crazy know. to think how like quickly things can change. It is crazy. 
It's yeah. wild. Even trying to explain somebody what those things are 10 years ago would have been difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. So your partner, how did you find how did you find him? That's a great question. So for Dunk, I, I found Elliot actually through meeting a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. So okay, met, yeah. Yeah, I met Gary about two years ago and Elliot was his head of social media. He was at the time, Elliot, I think would have been 19 years old. So he was the youngest kid at the office. I was 20 years old as well. We hung out a bunch after the meeting and grabbed some lunch and really became friends off that. So when I moved to New York, he asked me if I wanted to be his roommate. I did. And then we started working together, which was amazing. In terms of true fan, my co-founder is a guy named Anna Claire. He's an incredibly smart person. He, he you know, took a leave of absence now from Stanford, but he was studying comp and engineering there. Built an app when he was 15 years old called Under the Radar that was a ringtone app that only people under the age of 21 could hear the ringtone. So it was super clever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I actually met him at an event five years ago called Candace Top 20 Under 20. So we both won the award and we were actually roommates at the event in Toronto. He was the first person to teach me how to shave. He was the first <laughs> person, I think, to just like really, really teach me how to adult quickly. And yeah, he's like even after he went back to Vancouver and I obviously went to Calgary and then we went our own separate paths for university, we stayed in touch, which was really great. Have you found it? difficult having partners? Not really. If anything, I find it to be a major blessing. There's a lot of gaps in my knowledge, especially Mm -hmm. around the product that Onyx comes in and fills. And there's also times, I think, especially given the fact how lonely entrepreneurship can be, there's a lot of times I don't feel at my best. And that's great to be able to have a co-founder that can really come in and take up the slack and do some added work to be able to compensate for how I'm feeling. So having a co-founder has been a blessing. I mean, my co-founder, Onik, is not just my co-founder. He's also one of my best friends and he's my roommate. So we pretty much see each other like every minute of the day. <laughs> <laughs> have you been able to have a relationship at all? Outside of work? Mm-hmm. So my thing is, I, like the last relationship I had, I think it was a year and a half ago. I'll still go out on dates and stuff. I definitely do that. And it's definitely something I, I enjoy doing. But mm-hmm. in terms of sustaining a relationship past one month, and that's been very tough. It's not, I think, just because of me. I also feel like the, the people that I tend to attract are also equally ambitious and they're equally hardworking and busy. Mm-hmm. So just finding a way to be able to like mesh our schedules together, especially at this time of like in our lives, it's very hard to do. Yeah, that's a, which is a common thing, especially for young entrepreneurs. How, yeah. How you find the time to actually make a relationship work. It's yeah, it's tough. That being said, I mean, I love going out. I love partying. (laughs) Oh, really? I'll take a break. Like, I'm not the type of person that works seven days out of seven days. You know, I I definitely (laughs) take a break. And I have like a very close knit group of friends that I I love deeply. So I definitely, definitely prioritize that side of life too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What has been some of the, the toughest things you've found being an entrepreneur? I think two things. One is, there's always like a weird feeling as an entrepreneur that you can always do more anytime, especially this is like, if I go on TechCrunch for example, like if I go on TechCrunch and I see like the Uber for squirrels or whatever, like (laughs) or whatever pops up, raise 54 million. It just makes me feel like shit, you know, like it makes me feel like, wow, like how is this company, you know, a moving so quickly, doing so well, raising so much money. And like, we have a great profitable company that's doing quite well but it's not moving as quickly. So sometimes I feel like just in the way that people come onto Instagram and they compare themselves and it you know, kills their confidence over time, mm-hmm. very easy I think, to do that as an entrepreneur. And that's something I've had to be cognizant of. 
Number two is, again, it is a lonely journey. Even if you have a co-founder, there's times where, you know, you're very much alone in terms of your doubts and anxiety. And it's very hard to be able to tell people who are not entrepreneurs what you're going through and expect them to relate to it entirely. So it's very hard, for example, for me to talk to, you know, my best friend or for me to talk to some of, you know, my, my parents, my family members, because they just wouldn't understand entirely what's going on when I tell them a problem that we're going through at work. Have you found it to really affect your mental health, entrepreneurship? Yes and no. I'm the type of person that I do a reset pretty much every week. So oh, that's for great. Have, yeah, for me to have like a, you know, a serious problem on that side is very rare, unless there were things like, you know, that affected my family as well. Like there was a period last year where in the span of about two months, my, my parents split up, my grandfather wow way and then one of my good friends committed suicide and that that oh. too stint with you know having to deal with work was probably the hardest thing I've gone through in life thus far and I bet mm-hmm. I will go through something even more tough down the road but mm-hmm. that's something that really did affect me but it needs to be a culmination of various things put together to really get to me because I do do a reset every single week. What does a reset look like for you? Playing basketball. So I'm part of a Sunday basketball league. And actually, we have playoffs coming up now, which is great. Quarterfinals this Sunday. We play at the Ryerson Athletic Center. And that, you know, one hour of playing with my friends and, and really just going and becoming competitive about something entirely different in life, that's my reset for me. Oh, that's great. Do you, do you meditate or anything? I try to. I honestly, like at night normally when I try meditating, I just casually fall asleep, which I feel terrible about. <laughs> and then normally in the morning, like I'm just not a morning person as it is. So when I get up, like I just want to get out of bed, get into the shower and then get to work. I don't normally meditate. It is something though I want to do because a lot of my friends do it and they've told me it's worked really well for them. How do you find your creativity? Like how do you get inspiration for new ideas? I'm pretty self-motivated on that front. I feel like I have like a bunch of ideas that I write about. I'm a, by the way, I'm an obsessive writer. Like I text myself about 50 times a day. I have over like 4,000 notes now on my phone that are wow. saved between like notes about business, notes about my personal life, notes about like where I want to go, random quotes, random ideas at night. In the same way. But yeah, like I, I literally, I think for me, it's a mix between like a, going through and like recording all the ideas that I've had since I was like 12 years old and putting it into a plan and trying to be able to like figure out how to act on it. Mm-hmm. And B, it's looking at what other people are doing, YouTube, documentaries, like really trying to be able to get the spark to go after something after you watch someone else do it. I was in a, a meeting not too long ago with a, with a really big CEO. He's a billionaire. And he was talking about how every, all of his colleagues and whatnot are all doing acid now to get (laughs) to spark their creativity. (laughs) Yeah. I I have not done that yet. I don't think I probably ever will. No, Um, me neither. (laughs) If I ever also if I ever did, yeah, if I ever did acid, I don't know if it would be just to spark creativity or just to have fun. (laughs) I don't know, but (laughs) sparking creativity isn't something I really need a substance for yet. I yeah, I was like, oh whoa. Whoa. (laughs) That's intense. I find, yeah, I just, I constantly, all day, I'm, I'm being sparked with ideas that I'm writing down from everything and constantly my mind's going with, how could this be better? How could this be better? How could, yeah. you know, any little problem is like, how could I fix this? And it's just like our, our mind, it's the, just the way it thinks. Oh yeah, 100%. And that sort of mindset is going to be good, but it also can be really bad if you go a little too deep, right? Like I think a lot of times perfectionists have an issue where, they look at something they've made and they're like, ah, oh, but it's still not good enough. And mm-hmm. like it kills their self-confidence over time. Mm-hmm. 
What did your parents do? Yeah, my parents actually had two very separate careers. My dad is, in my opinion, like a corporate sellout. <laughs> he, uh, he had a degree in engineering and now he, he runs an oil and gas company in Singapore. My mom is totally different. She has taught English for the last 22 years. Even though she's incredibly qualified to teach it, she continues to take a pay cut to be able to teach immigrants and refugees how to speak English for the first time when they move oh to Canada. So the dinner conversations, as you can imagine, must have been insane. <laughs> and it was just mm-hmm. crazy to see like, you know, one spectrum of like, you know, corporate entrepreneurship and then the other being social entrepreneurship and mixing the two together. Wow. Your mom sounds like an amazing woman. She's amazing. Yeah. She's actually like one of the most giving, hardworking people that I know. And she's like the backbone for my support system for sure. Oh, are you an only child? I'm not. My brother is a, is a crazy genius. He's a, <laughs> right now a lawyer and he's clerking for the Supreme Court in Ottawa. And oh, he's, no way. Yeah, he's, he's crazy. He's, he's like the smartest person I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What did you take in school? So at the University of Toronto, I took uh, Peace Conflict Justice Studies and Ethics Society and Law which is the longest degree that you can actually take by name at U of T. (laughs) It's a dual degree. And I took that program partly because PCJ, Peace Conflict Justice, is a program of 25 people out of the Monk School of Global Affairs. So I very much liked having a low, you know, population in my classes. I want 3,000 people around me. So I took that course because I thought it'd be great to get some one-to-one attention. And I also have a future aspiration of running for politics, like, you know, for office one day and getting into politics. So I wanted to be able to to have a degree potentially that was a backbone before that. Very, very smart. That's very thinking in advance. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I wish I did well in school. That's another thing altogether, but. (laughs) Oh, really? You didn't do well? I honestly, no, I wasn't. It's shocking. I know, honestly, because in high school, I did very well. In first year of university, I tried and I did decently well. In second year, though, I think I was so consumed with my business that I only went to like seven classes in the entire year. It was funny because actually one of the classes I went to, I wrote the final exam for and I gave my paper to the prof and the prof was like, I didn't even know you were part of this class. And I'm like, yeah. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) And that was a class with 25 people at it. Obviously, he noticed who I was. (laughs) Yeah. So did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I think so. Past the age of 20, I really realized it was going to be like my career path. Is Again, for me, like the three things that were really important to me were business, entertainment, and politics. And I knew that the only way I'd be able to hit every single one in a time span that was short enough for me was by getting into building my own career right off the bat and not working for someone else and figuring out my own way. And when did you start to think that you should focus on your personal brand? I think that was more organic. It just naturally happened. You know, when I started the company, you know, I was around 20 years old. And after we raised money, I don't know how many other 20 year olds there were doing something like that. I bet there were some other people, but it's not something that common. So just when you're a little different in that way, like finding opportunities, for example, to speak or, you know, to write the book that I have coming out in four months, or, you know, to be able to go through and and talk about things and be seen as a bit of an outlier. It's not that hard to do it at that age. So Mm -hmm. I kind of leveraged that a little bit to be able to, to get some eyeballs on me and to be able to get people interested in the work that I was doing. I find that people often say they don't have a story. Yeah. I mean, that always intrigues me. I mean, look, like 
you might not have the craziest story compared to like someone like a Jordan Belford, right? Like when I watch the Wolf mm-hmm. of Wall Street, I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever have a story as crazy as this. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like, I think there's always things that you've learned that you wish you could have passed on to someone who is 18 years old. That's the way I think 100%. about it. Right. And, and that's what your story should come down to is your story shouldn't be like a story of me talking about my wins. It should be a story of me talking about ideally value that I can share with someone to help them do something different than what I did. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. I, I find that everybody has a story. They just have to figure out the way of, the way of telling it. You know? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. What is your book about? Is that about? Yeah, the, the, the book is about youth entrepreneurship. It's all about how to start a business while you're in school. It's about 100 pages. It's a guide, pretty much. It goes through any aspect of the process of building a company from thinking about the company, planning it out, raising money, getting early customer feedback, building out the MVP, going and building out the larger product, being able to build a team, corporate culture. It basically goes through every phase of entrepreneurship that I've learned so far. Talks a lot about TrueFan. It has interviews from over 50 people in it, and it's going to be published through a publisher called Kogan Page in the UK. It'll obviously be accessible in in the US and in Canada, but it'll be published first in the UK and then I'll go to the other areas from there. Where will it be available? Online. So you can pre-order it in about a month on Amazon or you'll be able to, you know, hopefully find it in some bookshops like the chapters and Negos of the World past March. Awesome. And where can people find more information about you? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn would be great. Swish Kiswami, S-W-I-S-H. I should be the only Swish, hopefully, in your network. <laughs> and you can search me up. Feel free to message me. Tell me you heard the podcast. And I'm quite approachable, honestly, at the end of the day. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. This was awesome.